on WHMP. Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And Bill, before we turn our attention to one of my favorite times of the month, which is when we get to speak with Representative Natalie Blay, I just wanted to make a quick announcement. Today, uh, in Hadley at the Greenfield Savings Bank at 140 Russell Street, is a really wonderful, a delightful, I should say, fundraiser for the Cancer Connection. It is the Cancer Connection Bed In. And there will be in a bed the vice president of uh, Greenfield Savings Bank, our own Tara Brewster, relaxing and welcoming into the bed a steady stream of visitors, folks who have benefited from the Cancer Connection's work. There will be local celebrities and authors and artists and caregivers and victims of cancer, uh, all who will be uh, participating in this fundraiser. We right now have $15,000 matching grant from the Greenfield Savings Bank. Another $500 matching grant just came in. There are all kinds of sponsors. There will be food from Paul and Elizabeth's and Texas Roadhouse and Smithsonian Cafe and Chowder House Coffee and uh, Chowder House and Coffee, of course, from Dean's Beans Organic Coffee. A whole day of food and entertainment and lots of surprises. You can stop in. It's really going to be fun. There's going to be entertainment by the Winter Pills. Stop in. Give some money. This is for Cancer Connection. And we welcome back to the show Representative Natalie Blay, who is the representative for the 1st Franklin District, all 511.3 square miles of it. Uh, <laughs> representative Blay, uh, refresh our memories. What towns and half a city do you represent? So and, and remember, we only, we only have half an hour, so. <laughs> you want me to go through them all? Uh, well, Broadly speaking, just for let's, the for, let's just let's just say you start in Bernardston, you sort of come down around Greenfield, over to Leverett, uh, down to Sunderland and Deerfield, everything west along the Vermont border in Franklin County to Berkshire County. The That's most that. important square miles, right? <laughs> A lot of square miles. So, Representative Blay, I'd like to ask you your opinion and your position with regard to a story that's been on the front page of the local newspapers uh, yesterday and today. Yesterday's newspaper headline was about the attorney general approving for the referendum for the ballot uh, in November uh, 2024, a question which will become a law if it passes about MCAS. Uh, and today, the headline is Battle Lines Forming Over MCAS Tests Critics Ready to Sprint Towards Ballot While Supporters Prep to Mount a Defense. I'd like to know your position with regard to MCAS being a requirement for a student to achieve a high school diploma in Massachusetts and whether you expect and or will work for this matter to be addressed by the legislature, which would obviate the need for it to go before the voters for their decision next year. What's your position, please, Representative? Yeah, this is something I've heard from several uh, constituents, well, many, I would say not just several, many, many constituents in the 1st Franklin District who support this effort strongly. And I am happy to stand alongside them in their support for this ballot initiative to remove this high stakes testing. The federal government mandates standardized testing, but not the high stakes testing that Massachusetts is requiring for graduation. Uh, we are one of just eight states that requires students to pass a standardized test to graduate from public high schools. And we know that that is negatively impacting 
many of the populations that the Student Opportunity Act was intended to help support. So let's give the Student Opportunity Act some time to kick in to get those resources to these targeted uh, individuals that we want to support. And let's not focus in on a high stakes test to determine these, these students' futures. What we have learned is that the process is that if the number of sig- required number of signatures are, are secured, it's over 75,000, to get on the ballot, before it gets on the ballot, it goes to the legislature to see if the legislature is going to act on it. If the legislature acts, then there's no need for have a vote. But if the legislature doesn't act, then it's on the ballot. Do you have a, pers- a thought that you could share with us on whether or not the legislature will act? Well, I can tell you that there are several bills currently pending to address this. And, and Senator Comerford, I just want to say, has been a tremendous state statewide leader on this issue. So you know, the, the bills, I don't believe, have had a hearing yet. Uh, maybe they have been scheduled. But that is part of the public process that you know people will be able to weigh in now with this ballot initiative and certainly through public hearings on these pieces of legislation. And there is a thought based on significant history, that if the legislature gets the bill, you can craft the bill, you can be really precise, all sorts of good things happen in the legislative process that won't happen if there is a ballot question, which would become essentially a state law, would become a state law, up or down, and therefore the legislature should get involved, should uh, bring its expertise in drafting legislation to bear. Do you have a thought on whether or not that's a good idea for the legislature to decide this or try to decide this? Well, I think that right now there's there's a lot of public input happening and it is the legislature's moral imperative to make sure that we are taking that public input to decide how best to move forward. Let me ask you this. I did get an email from Buzz yesterday. Uh, it said, you know, we can, we're going to have Representative Natalie Blay on the show tomorrow and we can trash talk with Natalie Blay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't want to miss this opportunity. Uh, talk to us. Trash, tra- trash. Tra- trash talk to us. <laughs> Uh, you know, I have tried to make it a priority as state representative to meet constituents where they are, and there is no better place to catch up with residents than at the local transfer stations. So I've, I've made it a habit of visiting our transfer stations and just standing around and talking to folks as they recycle and um, dump their garbage bags. So this Saturday, I will be in row at the row transfer station uh, from 11 to 11.45. And in the Shelburne transfer station from 12.15 to 1. On Sunday, I'll be at the Leverett transfer station from 11 to 11.45. And then heading over to Ashfield to meet little Amal. Okay, I have a remedial question. I probably don't need our state rep to explain this, but what the heck. Um, Why do we call them transfer stations? (laughs) You know, it's interesting. There's, there's a little bit of a debate on whether it's a transfer station or the dump, and it depends on where you are and which town you're in. I will tell you that the guy who runs our dump, Phil, said when, it, when they first said, stop calling it a dump, it's a transfer station, he said, I refuse to do that. <laughs> and this it is, is a time. It is a hotly <laughs> debated topic. <laughs> This, this is this is the kind of comment where we remind everyone that we do not ask for money for you to listen to this station. <laughs> um, l- let me ask you uh, something that, uh, more serious, if I might, um, and that is because it's the beginning of school, the school year, uh, Buzz, Buzz 
and you both reminded me about the importance uh, of safety for kids and buses. And I was reminded that when we spoke a few months ago, Representative Blay, that you were proposing and were working with Senator Comerford on a school bus safety piece of legislation. And I'm wondering if you could update us on where that stands, what its purpose is, and whether there's whether it has prospects for passing. Yeah. So it's not, there are not bills that are offered by Senator Comerford or myself. They are bills that we were trying to, to highlight as uh, we had a constituent, constituents in Leverett who were seeing cars repeatedly fly by school buses with, that were stopped with their lights on with the stop sign out. Uh, so those bills are moving through the legislative process. They have not yet had a hearing. We want to make sure that people weigh in if they want to, to support those pieces of legislation. Uh, but approximately 400,000 Massachusetts students are transported by school buses annually. And it's this time of year, we want to make sure that we're reminding drivers to be responsible, to understand that people's lives are at stake here, young students' lives are at stake here as they cross in front of school buses, as they cross the roads to their parents' arms. So just please, if you see a school bus, if you see those lights coming on, if you see that stop arm out, make sure that you're stopping to ensure the safety of these students. It's already a state law if you see a school bus with flashing lights and that sign out as a driver, yes. you have to stop. But yes. what you were pointing out is yeah, that doesn't work as well in practice as it does in theory. Well, there, there are scoff laws, and I just want to point out probably two days ago, Monday or Tuesday maybe of this week, I was coming, heading east on Route 9, coming to the studio, and I was behind another car. That car pulled over because there was a school bus coming in the opposite direction, heading west, the, and I pulled over behind that car. So two of us were half on the breakdown lane and half in the travel lane, and a car passed us on the left and went and just flew right by us and the school bus as the school bus was picking up children. And I was, I, I tried to get the license number. I was that angry and I couldn't. It happened too fast that I was astonished that anybody would do that. Yeah, the fine for illegally passing a school bus is a maximum of $200, and repeat offenders may have their licenses suspended. That is dependent upon having a police officer there at that moment to do exactly what you're talking about, Buzz, to catch those people, to pull them over, to talk to them about what just happened, and potentially uh, to cite them for what just happened there. And the new bill is going to increase penalties, or it's going to do something else? It's, it's a bill. It's not an act. It's not hasn't passed yeah. the legislature. Can you give us any details on what the new legislation might accomplish? So there are several, I want to say there are eight bills before both transportation and public safety. Um, one of the bills talks about having video cameras, installing video cameras that would allow for buses to capture vehicle you know, license plates that are not following the law so that citations can then be issued after the fact by the local police uh, to ensure that there is another way uh, our, our, our local police are already stretched so thin, uh, they cannot possibly be in on every school bus route to ensure that people are following the law. So this proposal would allow for another opportunity to be able to ensure that people are 
taking their driving responsibilities seriously and the safety of students seriously. Let me ask you this, Representative Blake. Uh, there are two hearings going on in your district soon that are of, I think, significant interest uh, to your constituents in particular, but I think also more widely uh, throughout the region. Tell us what they are, if you would, please, and why public participation matters. No, I appreciate you flagging this because public participation in the governmental process is so important. It is critically important for us as legislators to hear from constituents. And it's important for state government to hear from all residents as they are pulling together uh, proposals. So one of the two public input sessions that will be happening in the upcoming months is around grid modernization. We've talked about this on the show before, uh, how Senator Cumberford and I worked really hard to get the grid modernization bill into the act driving clean energy and offshore wind legislation that's now law. So we're talking about the electrical grid. Yes. Okay. And there's a hearing before what committee where to determine what? It's a great question. So the bill, the law established. Thank you for saying that. It was a terrible question. It bordered on the incoherent, <laughs> but I thought you would understand. I get it. Uh, the law established the Grid Modernization Advisory Council, and that required um, that our electric companies submit plans that will proactively upgrade the distribution system uh, and meet multiple objectives, including improving grid reliability, um, minimizing or mitigating impacts on ratepayers, increasing renewable energy adoption, uh, promoting energy storage, all of those things that are gonna help us to get to our green energy future. And uh, I just wanna so point that out, is happening. I'm sorry, Representative Blay, but no, the, I, I wanna point out that, and remind people that the Commonwealth has already said, our aspiration is to become net zero by 2050, which is only 26 years from now. So for people to input on how to make that happen is really important. The hearing is where, Representative? So there's a public uh, listening session on October 30th from 6 to 7.30 p.m. There's also one on November 1st from 12 to 1.30 p.m. And if you just Google Grid Modernization Advisory Council, uh, you will go to their website and it has a link for you to register to be able to, to be involved there and, and lend your voice. There's one other hearing that is of significance. You want to mention that to it, to our listeners? Yeah, this is forests as climate solutions. Uh, in June of this year, the Healy administration announced the forests as climate solutions to ensure Massachusetts forests are managed to optimize carbon sequestration and mitigate climate harms as part of us meeting our aggressive climate goals. So there will be a public meeting on September 12th from 6 to 8.30 p.m. Uh, to seek public input to inform the development of forest management guidelines based upon climate science. So, and so that, this is also something that we've heard a lot about. And that hearing is where? So that's a, it's a remote, it's a virtual public hearing. So again, I, the links are too long, but if you just Google forests as climate solutions, uh, it'll take you to the registration page so that you can get into that September 12th hearing from 6 to 8.30 p.m. We're going to leave it there. We have been speaking with State Representative Natalie Blay, representative from the 1st Franklin District. We really appreciate your time, your insights, your leadership, and your spending time with us today. Thank you, Representative Blay.
Good to see you all. Take care. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Rutabagas, sweet potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the co-op every day. At the co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice? Get just the right amount in the co-op's bulk department. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Local farms are the lifeblood of our valley, and boy, have they had a tough year. At Northeast Solar, we feel a deep connection to farms. Sustainable agriculture needs sustainable energy, and sustainable energy is our mission. Energy is often the single highest cost for a working farm. By reducing those costs with solar energy, farms can sustain their business, which helps them sustain our communities. Support our local farms. Learn more about Northeast Solar's work with local farms at northeast-solar.com farms. Are you tired of feeling like a watchless hero in a world full of timekeeping villains? Fear not. Hero Watch Repair is here to save the day. With over 20 years of experience and a heroic five-star customer rating, Hero Watch is the ultimate superhero of watch repair and customization in the valley. These heroes possess the power to buy, fix, sell, and customize watches like no other. They'll swoop in, rescue your timepiece, and restore it to its former glory. Call Avery at Hero Watch Repair, East Hampton. Go out to eat, save 30%. Get a guitar or take lessons, save 30%. Pork chops, rug cleaning, hypnotherapy, save 30%. The Shop 30 store, full value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were going to buy anyway. The Shop 30 store, open right now at whmp.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We welcome back to the show Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. This is a segment we call Your State, You. We are pleased, that, delighted with the timing of today's segment. Front page of the Daily Hampshire Gazette, battle lines forming over MCAS, tests. Critics ready to sprint, that's in quotes, towards ballot, while supporters prep to mount a defense. This is about MCAS going on the ballot for voters to decide whether MCAS will remain in Massachusetts a requirement for a high school diploma. It does not eliminate MCAS. It simply says that passing the test is not a requirement for a high school diploma, which would allow Massachusetts to uh, join the other 80% plus of the states that say, no, this standardized test should not be a requirement for having a high school diploma. 42 states say no to that idea. Massachusetts is an outlier, but it has a lot of very wealthy, significant, and I think connected groups that are saying, we really want to keep MCAS as a high school, as a requirement for a high school diploma. 
Max Page, you have with us today a very special, knowledgeable guest who is going to be able to help us understand what the stakes are here. Max Page, president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, the microphone, the pleasure of this introduction is yours. Thank you very much, Bill. Yes, uh, I we did just get the ballot initiative certified, and we'll get into that. And it happens to be that we have the one of the very best people to talk about this issue. Um, Jack Schneider um, is, I will very pleased to say, newly starting just a week or so ago, is the Dwight W. Allen Distinguished Professor in the College of Education at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. He had previously been at the University of Massachusetts Lowell. So he joins our campus here. He's also the executive director of the Beyond Test Scores Project, the director of Center for the Center for Education and Educational Policy in the College of Education, co-editor of the History of Education Quarterly, and co-host of his own podcast, Have You Heard Podcast. So, and Jack is really a just absolutely national leader on the issue of a better way of thinking about how we evaluate uh, students and schools. So welcome, Jack Schneider. Thanks, Max. It's great to be here. So we're going to get into the ballot initiative itself, but I really wanted, since you are kind of new to Western Mass and to UMass Amherst, our flagship campus, I just wanted to give a sense of all those titles that I just named. What is the core of your work that you've been doing now for many years in education policy? My main research focus has been, for probably the last five to ten years, assessment and accountability in education. And thinking specifically about the unintended consequences of our existing practices. And so listeners will be familiar with things like teaching to the test, right? Which is an unintended but absolutely foreseeable consequence of a high stakes accountability system that purports to improve classroom instruction and school performance by dangling a sword over educators and schools if student standardized test scores don't rise. Well, it just so happens that if you threaten people, they will respond in predictable ways by doing what they can to raise, in this case, test scores. But that has the effect of not only leading to teaching of the test, but narrowing of the curriculum. This is well documented. So people like myself who are uh, now of a particular vintage can think back to their own education when we took standardized tests that had no stakes attached to them. And we got plenty of recess, physical education, art and music education. That hasn't been the case for people like my daughter. Um, so my work has focused on looking at present assessment and accountability systems, and again, particularly at their unintended consequences, and then also looking at what can we do to try to maintain some of the things that I think most of us are in favor of, right? We're in favor of some kind of public accountability system because public education is funded by all of us. We all have a stake in it. So we want things like transparency. We want to do what we can to uh, ensure a high functioning system. But we also want to do so in a way that minimizes the kinds of consequences that we see in the existing system. Thanks, Jack. We're talking to Jack Schneider, professor at the College of Education at UMass Amherst, and also a leading expert on um, assessment and accountability in schools. So let's just set this stage, though, for a moment, because I think a lot of listeners out there um, have lived with, know about the MCAS, because it has been around for now 20 years, 
um, as a high stakes test. And by high stakes test, I mean that there are real consequences based on your scores. That is, students will not get a high school diploma if they do not pass the, the, the MCAS in the three areas that it, it covers right now. Schools can be put into kind of oversight by the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. They can be taken over like the whole Holyoke school system in part because of low MCAS test scores. And as Jack, you just said, there are the less formal legalistic uh, it consequences such as uh, uh, an excessive focus on certain areas and, and on, on, on test prep in in schools, but I just want to be clear that this was an invention. I mean, this was a this was a policy experiment. We'll call it that that came out of the Education Reform Act of 1993 that they would develop a thing called the Massachusetts Comprehensive Assessment System, but only in 2003. Um, and you'll correct everything that I get wrong here in 2003. It was um, then becomes a high stakes test. It becomes this graduation requirement. So we've had 20 years of experience with that. So tell us, Jack, you sort of hinted at that. What has what has it achieved? I guess I would say, because many people, as Bill Newman mentioned earlier, are going to be defending this or many organizations who traditionally have defended this kind of thing say this is a crucial tool. So what has has it achieved and what has it what has been the, it? What have there been the downsides? Yeah, great question, because one of the things people will hear is that the reason why public education in Massachusetts is so strong is because of MCAS. You will hear that repeatedly from folks. And I think it's worth just thinking about the theory behind that logic. So the theory goes something like this. Educators are lazy. They are hiding their best lesson plans in their desks. And only if they are threatened will they decide to open those desks and try their hardest. Right? There's another theory about students as well, and we'll get to that. But this theory about educators is really rooted in not only mistrust of them and disrespect for them as professionals, but it's also rooted in a fundamental misunderstanding of why educators get into the profession. So why do people decide to become classroom teachers or uh, support staff in schools. They do it because they get all of these rewards from the work that are non-monetary. We know that educators, when compared to other similarly educated professionals, are underpaid. That if they went into other fields, given their own educational backgrounds, they could earn more. Right. A big part of their compensation comes from what sociologist Dan Lordy referred to as psychic rewards. This is the feeling of making a difference in the world. This is the feeling of doing good work. So if we know that one of the primary benefits to educators in doing the work that they do is feeling like they are making a difference to young people, then this theory that maybe they're not trying their hardest begins to fall apart because these are not people who have simply chased dollars and gotten into a profession that they're not particularly passionate about, but which will allow them to lead a kind of lavish lifestyle. Anybody who has ever set foot inside a school knows that that's not the case with teachers. Now, let's think about the theory behind holding students accountable 
for their 10th grade MCAS scores. And that's really what this system does. And that's Let the, me stop there for one sec. Let's stop there. Let's take our quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Professor of Education Jack Schneider, Director of the Beyond Test Scores Project, and Max Page, President of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. What will happen to MCAS and why? Right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Senator Joe Comerford, along with Joint Committee on Housing Chairperson Senator Lydia Edwards, will tour Valley Community Development in Hadley and Well Street Shelter in Greenfield today. The visit is part of a statewide housing production tour aimed at improving affordable housing. The two organizations help address the housing concerns for rural residents, and the legislators are working to hear about the challenges in affordable housing and shelters and how to make them economically viable while still addressing more rural needs. Northampton is the first city in the county to install outdoor Narcon boxes. The two small cabinets are located in Pulaski Park with three rows of kits containing the drug with instructions on how to administer to prevent a potentially fatal overdose. The city has also purchased two additional boxes to install at other locations. Taylor McAndrew, the coordinator at Hampshire Hope, tells the Gazette that eight kits have already been restocked. The 174th Annual Franklin County Fair is underway at the fairgrounds in Greenfield. Gates open at 3 p.m. today. There's free parking for the fair this year at the Olive Street Parking Garage this weekend on Saturday and Sunday. Free shuttles will be running from the parking garage to the fair between 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. both days. And Taste of Northampton will also take place tomorrow. The event will be held on Main Street with over 35 restaurants, breweries, and vendors taking part. Partly sunny today with some scattered showers and thunderstorms developing in the afternoon, a high of 84 to 88. Those scattered showers and thunderstorms continue through early evening tonight, then some drying out overnight. Evening temperatures in the 70s, an overnight low of 68 to 74. Sun cloud mix tomorrow, another round of scattered showers and possibly a few thunderstorms in the afternoon, a high of 82 to 86. Showers likely possibly a steady rain on Sunday with a high of 80. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Miss an episode of Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg? Want to hear the stories and perspectives of local business leaders? Click on podcasts at whmp.com. Talk the Talk, Western Mass Business Show, Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, The Hustler Files, Panorama, and more. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. The only live and local talk in the Valley for the Valley. whmp.com. Hi, I'm Jane Wolf, Executive Vice President of Residential Lending, asking you to come on over to the co-op. It just makes sense. And dollars, Jane. I'm Angie McClay, Residential Loan Underwriter, and we want you to know we've extended our mortgage promo, so there's more time to save on your mortgage closing costs. That's right. There's still time to save up to $1,250 when you obtain a pre-approval from GCB. We make it easy to apply online at bestlocalbank.com or at any of our branch locations. Our local, experienced mortgage team is happy to help walk you through the process and answer any questions you may have. So apply online or come see us in person and receive a $750 closing cost credit plus an additional $500 when we pre-approve you. Close by November 30th, be a new first mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender. Member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. 
What do a gaggle of klezmer musicians, an Elvis impersonator, and a flash mob of 60-somethings dancing to Bob Dylan have in common? They'll all be at this year's Doozy Do Parade, marching through Northampton on Saturday, September 23rd. That's right, the Doozy Do is back for a second year with an even bigger celebration, raising funds for Northampton neighbors to provide free services for area seniors. The party kicks off from Holly Street at 11 a.m., heading up Main Street to Pulaski Park. Join the parade or donate at doozydo.org. We continue our Your State Youth segment with Max Page, who is the president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association, and Jack Snyder, who is a professor of education now at UMass Amherst and the director of the Beyond Test Scores Project. Before the break, Jack, you were about to tell us about how MCAS is affecting students and why what you are about to explain is a good reason to abolish MCAS as a high stakes. You can't get a high school diploma unless you pass tests. Jack Schneider, please continue on. Yeah, thanks. So I had just explained why the theory underlying stakes for schools and teachers didn't make any sense. And I think we also need to do the same kind of thinking about students. Now, the thinking is that students will try harder if they know that they will be held accountable for their learning. Well, it just so happens that the things that they are learning in school are not adequately measured by a machine scored standardized test. And so what ends up happening is that you can have students who have learned the taught curriculum, who have passed whatever the benchmarks are that they needed to pass at their schools, and by virtue of lower performance on a standardized test that is not necessarily aligned, and in most cases not aligned at all, with the things that we want them to learn in school, can be denied a diploma. And we happen to know when we look at the data that diplomas are disproportionately denied to students of color and students from low-income families. Now, if we looked at the data and said, well, that's an unfortunate outcome, but we have seen rising achievement levels for all students and maybe especially those historically minoritized and marginalized groups, maybe it's worth it, but we haven't seen that. We have not seen the closing of achievement gaps. We have not seen a benefit to students. What we have seen is that this is a policy that I think is well-intended, but that has this very negative consequence and disproportionately so for the students who most need that basic entry-level credential to enter into employment. When we are denying students a high school diploma, and there are ways for students to earn the diploma if they have failed MCAS, but for the students who are still unable to earn that diploma, what we are saying to them is good luck in a job market where lacking a high school diploma is going to keep lots of doors closed to you despite the fact that you did learn a lot in school. Now, I am not suggesting that we should have absolutely no standards for students. What I am suggesting is that using a machine scored standardized test is not the best way to do that. And that if we take seriously the fact that schools do more than fill students with information that can be regurgitated onto a Scantron form, that it is then incumbent upon us to do a better job of figuring out what students know and can do. And that's a part of the work that I've been engaged in. And that's a part of the work that 
folks like Max and the MTA have been supportive of. Nobody is in favor of a system with zero accountability. Nobody is in favor of a system where students can fall through the cracks. Right. We're in favor of a system that doesn't come with these kinds of terrible unintended consequences. And this just brings us in our last minutes to talk about the ballot initiative that we at MTA and other allies have put forward. Because what's, what's so striking to me, Jack, is that we've had 20 years of this MCAS. We've also had 20, we've had 10 years or 15 years um, of the receivership where they've taken over Holyoke and Lawrence and Southbridge. And I think objectively, you can look at it, and frankly, the Boston Globe did an exhaustive look at the receivership issue. These have not achieved what the ed reformers said they would achieve. So why don't we say we tried something at the, the very most generous thing I could say is we tried something. It is not working. What our what we are doing is with this is not getting rid of the MCAS. And I'm going to repeat it. And Bill said it at the beginning. The MCAS will be offered. It is a federal requirement um, and maybe adjusted, improved. It will have it will have some diagnostic value in the same way that the tests I took in the Amherst public schools in the 70s had some diagnostic value for the teachers. What we are getting rid of is the high school graduation requirement of having this MCAS, which is worse than actually, which is, I mean, what's much better is teachers evaluating our students. What it also does, and so I wanna get you back to talk about what your work, is by taking off this high stakes punitive test, it frees us up to think about better ways of evaluating. So very, in the last minutes, can you just talk about your education Commonwealth project and the new ways, the better ways of evaluating students in schools that we could now take on if the MCAS were not a high stakes test? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. So uh, a number of years ago, a coalition of us created the Massachusetts Consortium for Innovative Education Assessment and our members include Attleboro, Boston, Lowell, Milford, Revere, uh, Somerville, Wareham, and Winchester in alphabetical order. And we are now taking the tools and practices created in that consortium uh, to everybody in the Commonwealth who wants to participate. So these are free and open source tools funded by the state legislature that give schools and educators better ways to assess student learning via performance assessments. These are classroom embedded performance assessments and better ways of assessing school performance through what we call school quality measures, SQM, that evaluate the many things that schools do, not just standardized test scores, attendance rates and graduation rates, but things like how engaged are students? How safe do they feel? How are they developing as citizens? Do they have access to uh, arts and music education, to physical education? These are the things that we are trying to champion because again, we're not trying to replace something with nothing. We're trying to replace something that doesn't work the way that it was supposed to with something that we think will work better based on the evidence. When the facts on the ground change, we need to change our minds. I think we're going to have to have you come back, Jack Schneider, uh, professor at the College of Education at UMass Amherst, to get really into the details of these exciting new performance-based assessment, assessment systems and the school quality measures that you've been pioneering. So thank you for being on with us today. Thanks for having me. And thank you, Max, for bringing Jack Schneider. I can't wait to continue this conversation. I think our listeners really want to know about more about MCAS and more about the replacement for that unsuccessful experiment. Thank you, Jack Schneider, Professor of Education at UMass Amherst, and Max Page, President of the Massachusetts Teachers Association. We'll be right back with Heartbeat.
You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It is critical that the investigation is not limited to federal violations of gender discrimination, but includes the alleged allegations of corruption, nepotism, abuse of power, and use of position to aid Ms. Cunningham's personal business. These allegations actually require an investigation by a different body than a Title IX investigator. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. Mom, tell us about Tom Lake. A woman and her three daughters gather at the family's northern Michigan orchard where, while picking cherries, the daughters beg their mom to tell stories of the famous actor she long ago shared a stage and a romance with. Mom dishes, and the daughters soon find themselves examining their own lives, reconsidering the world and everything they thought they knew. Tom Lake, new from powerhouse author Ann Patchett. Pick up Tom Lake at Northampton's independent bookstore, Broadside Bookshop. You could be one word away from $1,000. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Listen each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 815, 1215, and 415. When you hear the keyword, just go to WHMP.com and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on WHMP.com. Jay Burnham here, voice of the Massachusetts Minutemen. Touchdown, Massachusetts! I just wanted to let you know that all of the UMass football action can be heard right here on our new flagship home for Massachusetts football. It's WHMP. Take WHMP and news from the Pioneer Valley with you everywhere. Download the TuneIn Radio app and search for WHMP. It's free, it's easy, and it's wherever you are. WHMP on TuneIn Radio. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm too. And this is Artbeat with Donabel Cassis. I am so excited about this week's segment of Artbeat, Donabel, because you are going to be talking with the movers and shakers of Art in the Orchard, one of my favorite things in the Valley all year. Donabel, the microphone and the pleasure and honor of the introductions. It's all yours. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Bill. Good morning. Yes, it is September, and we all know that means... The beloved Art in the Orchard is set up on the gorgeous grounds of Park Hill Orchard in East Hampton. This is the seventh biennial outdoor sculpture in installation exhibit. And joining us today are Elaine Hartley, co-owner of Park Hill Orchard and co-founder of the Art in the Orchard, Jean-Pierre Pache. Welcome. Thank you. Hello. Now, this is always an exciting time of the year. You know, you could, you could feel it in the air. The leaves are starting to change. The winds are blowing. And of course, we're all anticipating the new sculptures that are presented at Park Hill Orchard. Elaine, you know, you've had this exhibit up on your grounds for quite a long time. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the history of this project? Because it's blown up in popularity and I, I don't know how many people are actually know about the history of it. And a little bit please about what people will see because the idea of seeing gigantic sculptures in an, in an orchard, not something we see every day. So help us. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Um, the his the history of it um, started with um, Jean Pierre Posh um, approaching us um, and telling us about a grant from the East Hampton Council of um, East Hampton Arts Council um, for art in unusual places and encouraging us to um, explore the idea of putting sculptures up in the orchard. Um, Jean Pierre, maybe you can talk a little bit more about that. And um, that was obviously our first biennial and it has grown from there we started with approximately 15 sculptures we now show 32 sculptures um, on a biennial basis in the in between years we do an invitational with with a sing with a artist or two along with some sculptures from um, prior sculptors now before we go into the the um art history though elaine your property is enormous it overlooks Mount Tom. It is just a gorgeous setting to see art. And of course, Art in the Orchard is a walking tour. How big is this property where we can see all these amazing sculptures? The, so we're in East Hampton. Our property is 127 acres. It's in agricultural protection. Um, but this entire area, which is basically the northwest corner of East Hampton, um, has about a thousand contiguous acres of land that's been put into preservation. So um, there's a lot of farms um, right next to each other. And as you say, it has quite a view of both Mount Tom and um, Mount Pomeroy. So it's really beautiful. Um, it's a beautiful fall experience to be out here. The art trail itself is approximately a half mile long trail. And you really get a feel for both the farming, the orchard, um, the farmland, the beauty of East Hampton and the look, the area and um, at a really nice pace. Jean-Pierre, tell us what we're going to see this year, because, you know, 32 is a big jump from 15 sculptures. Yes. So um, it's true that it's our seventh biennial, but every time it's a whole new show. Um, it's a juried show and um, we get anything from 70 to 100 applications and we have to select, it's a very hard process, we have to select 32. Um, and so this year we have, yeah, 32 new sculptures and they range from about um, 2 feet to about um, 18 feet in size and, and all sort of media from from clay to metal to hay uh, to glass so there is a there's a huge variety of art that is going to that is attracting already thousands of visitors and of, of all of all the region of all new england who come here i'd like to know more about what the sculptures are whether they're realistic whether they're abstract and in describing those perhaps you could share with us the sculpture by one donna bel cassis oh <laughs> Well, I think I have to let Donna Bell explain why she uh, applied and how she feels about being here. Sorry, I'm becoming the interviewer here. <laughs> but it's never happened before, so... Um, okay, yeah. Donna, okay, Donna Bell, speak up. How do you feel? What did you make? <laughs> okay, okay. I've always, it's been on my bucket list to have, uh, to do outdoor sculpture. It's something I've never done before. And um, what better way to do it but at Art in the Orchard. And so um, I've created a kinetic sculpture, which is wind powered. 
Um, it's called Airy Luminary, and it's a laser-cut aluminum piece that during the day kind of blends in with the landscape. It's blue, white, and green. It sort of blends in with the clouds and the grass and the trees. But at night, it becomes a totally different sculpture, which then is illuminated by solar-powered colored lights, and they become these sort of glowing, floating auric uh, sculptures in the evening, but you know enough about me. But there, there, are, there are 31 other amazing sculptures, um, and you can actually go to each one and scan a QR code and hear a little bit about each sculpture by the artist. I know there's an app you can download. It's called AutoCast, and each artist individually has uh, recorded a statement speaking about their piece. Um, so that's exciting, but I know there's some amazing events coming up during this month. And so Elaine or Jean-Pierre, please share what else, something's happening this weekend for sure. Sure, I can jump in on that. Uh, Bread and Puppet Theater may be here this week, uh, will be here this weekend on Sunday, where although with the rain coming in, watch our website because we're watching for whether or not there'll be a rain date. Um, we have an incredible show. This is the first time that we'll have it. It's a small work show coming up. Um, weekend after next september 16th and 17th where you'll be able to come out and meet the artists we're really encouraging people to come um, a lot of the artists are working on smaller pieces that they'll have that they'll be presenting and it'll be a really nice place to find out you know to meet the artists find out about them and their process and how they create their works and it's um and potentially bring home a piece um the we, we also have a show coming up, or a, uh, the Full Moon Poetry Walk, which will be September 29th, and that we are hosting with the Pioneer Valley Writers Guild this year, and oh, that starts at us, and we're really excited about that. Uh, that's an exciting time because to see these sculptures at night is a totally different experience than during the day, and plus walking poetry, how could you not like that on a full moon night? Yeah, we should also point out that uh, in addition to seeing the sculptures and hearing from the uh, artists themselves, there's their picnic tables, there's wonderful food. I mean, this is a whole adventure. I mean, uh, bring the family. It's it's spectacular. I would like, in the minute or two we have left, to ask uh, Jean-Pierre Posh if you'd be kind enough to tell us uh, just a bit about the 31 other sculptures in addition to Donabelle's. <laughs> Well, I most likely won't be able to tell you about the 31, but I will. Um, there are a couple that really stand out. Uh, first of all, the smallest one is a cute little um, beaver um, that that everybody loves. It's becoming a favorite, even though it's the smallest piece. Um, and then he goes to the largest piece. Which is a, it's, it's actually a life-size sailboat um, that has its sail up when it's not too windy and is also kinetic because it, it actually it moves on an axle. Um, there is another uh, beautiful piece which is like a it's like a uh, just a head but it's like a seven foot tall head that is uh, just the the outline in red. Um, so you can actually see the the beauty of the scenery through that head. Um, and it's next to the big red frame, so it's a nice it's a nice combination. Um, and there are many more. There's a giant. You can actually walk into a giant um, wasp nest that's made of hay. Whoa, 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 and... whoa, whoa! <laughs> really? That doesn't sound like that much fun. <laughs> yes. 
Are the wasps there? Tell me the wasps aren't there. Please, Jean-Pierre. Um, so it, it's a work created by um, Dave Rothstein and Chris Woodman. Um, and there is, um, yeah, you can actually walk in. Speaking of walking, I also want to point out that one of the big changes this year is that we've added an accessibility art cart. So people who have mobility issues should take a look on our website. There is a number that you can call and reserve a space on it. Oh my gosh. It's, you know, plan out your day. You could go on the website. There's a map of all the sculptures and the trail. Um, go to the farm stand, support their local produce. They have gorgeous things and delicious things. Uh, get a cider donut and an apple cider slushy because they're just incredible. And then go walk around and see this amazing art. Elaine Hartley and Jean-Pierre Posh, thank you so much for what you do in the community. Go see Art in the Orchard at Park Hill Orchard in East Hampton. Park Hill Orchard is where exactly? What's the address? 82 Park Hill Road, East Hampton. Thank you. Thank you both so very much, Jean-Pierre Posh and Elaine Hartley and Donabel Cassis for a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful presentation today. Thanks so very much, all three of you. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. Need a ride to the doctor? Tech support? Pictures hung? Looking to connect with others in the community? At Northampton Neighbors, our goal is to help seniors live independent, fulfilling lives by providing connection and support along the way. We are free of charge and offer a range of social and volunteer opportunities, as well as services for members 55 and older in Northampton, Florence, and Leeds. Membership in Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. It's about engaging in place, this place, the city of Northampton. We welcome one and all to join, volunteer, or donate to Northampton Neighbors. Together, we can create the community we all want to live in, now and in the future. Find us at NorthamptonNeighbors.org or by calling 413-341-0160. Thank you. WHMP Northampton and WR... This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And Bill, there's a very special uh, fundraiser that's going on in Hadley right now that I just want to spend a minute uh, alerting folks to if they don't already know about it. It's today, Friday, September 8th. It's from this morning at 7 a.m. It's going to go till 7 o'clock p.m. at the Greenfield Savings Bank at 140 Russell Street. This is a fundraiser for the extraordinary organization, the Cancer Connection. It is called a bed-in, and the vice president, a vice president of Greenfield Savings Bank, Tara Brewster, will be relaxing in a bed with clothes that was, uh, were donated, uh, pajamas that were donated by Gazebo, and she'll be welcoming into the bed a steady stream of visitors, folks who have benefited from the Cancer Connection, local celebrities and authors and artists and friends and victims of cancers and those caregivers who take care of them. Um, there is going to be food throughout the day that's donated by Paul and Elizabeth and the Texas Roadhouse and Smithsonian Cafe and the Chowder House. Um, there will be coffee from Dean Beans, organic coffee, and there will be a little concert by Winter Pills. They are hoping to raise at least $50,000 for Cancer Connection. And if you donate right now, there is a matching grant 
from Greenfield Savings of $15,000, another one of $500 by someone else. You could double your donation by doing it right now. We really hope that people stop by. It sounds like a wonderful thing to do, and cancer, we're all impacted by it horrifically. Let's do something about it. It's a Cancer Connection fundraiser right there in Hadleyville. We'd like to continue a conversation that we have been having on the show with regard to the situation in Amherst that has resulted in or that has been the subject of much uh, discussion. Uh, there have been three resignations from the Amherst uh, from the Amherst School School Committee and one from the Pelham School Committee as well, or maybe four from the Amherst School Committee. And, of course, the superintendent of schools, uh, uh, Superintendent Morris, resigned as well. All of this begins with a breaking story that was actually revealed first by the uh, student newspaper uh, about uh, LGBTQ students in the middle school being mistreated. Uh, and the story has, uh, I, has, I think, snowballed since then, um, resulting, as we noted, in the resignation of the superintendent. And I would like to have, and we wanted to have on the show today, uh, representatives, groups that have been uh, spe specifically named by the uh, persons, the former school committee members who have resigned, and so we have with us today uh, Pat Ananabaku, who is the chair of the Progressive Coalition of Amherst, and Art Keene, who is the managing editor of the Indy, and Mika McGee and Claire Coco from the Amherst Pelham Education Association, the union. I'd like to start by asking you all three this one question. When we had Peter Demling on the show, uh, and these sentiments were, I think, uh, repeated by Allison McDonald and Ben Harrington as well. He talked about a relentless stream of bullying and personal attacks that caused him to resign. I do want to get, and we will get to this question of what is the underlying issue here? What is the investigation that's going on? When will the results be known and so on? But I'd like to start with the question of whether or not the... Uh, it is possible in Amherst to have a conversation about contentious issues that does not end up with people saying it's a toxic, toxic atmosphere for political discourse and educational discussions in Amherst. Let me start with you, if I might. Uh, Pat Ananabaku, as chair of the Progressive Coalition of Amherst, what do you say in response to this uh, accusation of relentless streams of bullying and personal attacks that resulted in these resignations. These resignations. Let's start with you, Pat, and then we'll get to Art, and we'll get to the representatives APEE as well. Sure. So I have no idea what he's talking about. Um, his claims are false accusation. My group, Progressive Coalition of Amherst, stands in solidarity with the LGBTQIA plus students and their parents, families, and teachers. My group stands for diverse, inclusive, transparent, democratic government through the state and business community. We stand for safe community, public engagement, and leaders who are responsive to residents, regardless of race, age, gender, class, sexual orientation, and immigration status. We support affordable housing, climate 
justice, and all forms of social justice. We support progressive candidates uh, for this upcoming November local election. That's my comment. Thank you. Let me ask one follow-up. Did your group, the group you were the chair of, the Progressive Coalition of Amherst, PCA, uh, encourage uh, any specific actions with regard to the school committee members? Uh, uh, in other words, there were uh, demonstrations, I think, outside school committee members' homes, uh, drive-bys in cars, people that were was described to us really getting in their face, coming out of the grocery store and yelling at them and that sort of thing. Do you know anything about that? Was that ever part of PCA's uh, uh, tactics in this situation or not? Absolutely not. What, you, what happened with people who are trying to center kids, um, bullying, that the school committee refused to address. So PCA has nothing to do with it. The accusation, again, is false. I don't want to talk about that. He already resigned. We need to move on. We need to focus on the future and our kids, the teachers and their families. Thank you. Well, let me turn then, if I might, to representatives from the Amherst Pelham Education Association, the union that the, we have with us today, Mika McGee and Claire Coco. Let me start with you, Mika, and then we'll turn to Claire. Uh, your response to what has been described as the underlying reasons for the resignations and whether or not APE had anything to do with those, those actions and what they described as really bullying. Um, so your response to that, if you would, Mika, please. So, no, bullying, we do not bully anyone. Um, once again, those allegations are false. Um, what we do is we advocate on behalf of our members and students and families. And so we threw our support behind um, the students and the families that were suffering, and we tried to, uh, to help them um, to bring the issues that they were having to the forefront. Uh, we believe in the leadership being accountable and we believe that through our advocacy, that's what we were doing, was making our best effort um, to ensure that our leadership is accountable and that they are addressing the needs of all the students. Um, and so those what were our, what our efforts were about. Okay, well, let me follow that up. Uh, the, the school committee members, I think, or the former school committee members would say, we actually support all those things that uh, the APEA just said. We're in support of that. We're supportive of transparency. We, I, I know there's disagreement about this, but um, we are supportive of LGBTQIA plus rights. Uh, and what we disagree about is how to be supportive. Um, my question is whether or not any of the, th the various actions that the, those former members of the school committee now resign described as bullying of them and their families, whether you think that is accurate or whether you disagree with that, and whether in terms of getting in people's faces and having them yelled at and the, uh, having their families, uh, uh, I'm not trying, I'm trying to be neutral in the way I'm stating this, but having their families be, uh, uh, experience those same kinds of actions, whether APEE had anything to do with it and or encouraged or discouraged those kinds of actions? I'm, I'm not sure what all that is about. I, I do know that we've made many, many efforts uh, to reach out to 
uh, the school committee and the superintendent and to work with the school committee and the superintendent uh, to resolve any of the issues that have come up um, at the school and, and including the issues around LGBTQIA plus um, students and um, the middle school building. Um, fortunately, what it seems is that they were being ignored. Mm -hmm. And so the voices got louder and louder because they were being ignored. And so the students themselves brought forth some of these issues. The APA got behind the students and the families who were who were as who were basically saying that they are not being listened to and that their students are are suffering. And so the APA stands with them. Um, and, and there's lots of work to do, but the teachers have for many years um, been doing the work of creating a welcoming environment for all students, um, uh, creating a gender affirming environment in our schools and all of our schools. Let me turn, if I might now, to Claire Coco, also from the APEA. Uh, do you care to add to what uh, Mika McGee just has shared with us? Sure, yeah, just to reiterate that I think, again, that was, yeah, I am, I am that there was a action on the part of the community um, to bring greater attention to the fact that they wanted a school committee meeting to address the fact that Dr. Morris had returned from his leave while a lot of these issues were unresolved, including the API had um, submitted a vote of no confidence um, and that had never, you know, been addressed. And so again, this was not an APA sponsored or even instigated action. Um, but I think just to reiterate what Mika said, when when you feel unheard and when there's no response or just sort of a generic thank you for your email, we'll get back to you type of response to people who are calling for a discussion in open open door discussion where people can um, hear all the sides, um, then people get frustrated. And so, you know, again, people can throw around the word, word transparency, but when there's very little communication coming from leadership, it, it does cause frustration among the community, which I, I can understand. But again, I, I don't know about bullying. Um, the APA, as Mika said, is an advocacy organization um, but we're also a very collaborative organization. Well, Claire Coco, this is Buzz, and I, I have to ask the APEA, the Amherst Bellum Educational Association, um, at the very same time that it voted overwhelmingly uh, no confidence in the superintendent and the assistant superintendent, I, I think from an outsider's perspective, it, the superintendent was taking a mental health leave. It might just be really bad timing, but the look for a lot of people was an intolerance of the superintendent's uh, emotional and mental uh, imbalance at the time. He, he specifically said, I'm taking a health leave. So I'm wondering how that factored in with your vote of no confidence. Sure. So, so, I mean, we're an organization of over 400 people and it takes a long time to do a democratic process. It's not something that just happens overnight. And this was a very weighty decision. So this is a process that started long before anyone had an inkling that he was going to take a mental health break. Yes, the timing looked like, oh, he's leaving and now here comes a no confidence. Um, the wheels were in motion way before because, I mean, how else could this happen when we're, we have multiple schools, we are a democratic organization, we're taking a vote. So um, 
yeah, that's how I would respond to that. And the voting process had already started um, when that was announced. And so the, the superintendent um, taking a mental health leave was something that was a decision that was made after our voting process had already started. This, this controversy began uh, with the publication in the student newspapers about how LGBTQ students at the middle school in Amherst had been treated and mistreated. Congratulations to those students. Let's start with fabulous journalism, incredible investigative reporting for which I think everyone can be proud. That said, I want to know this from all of you. And perhaps we could, st let's stay with the APEA for a minute and then we'll follow up on the other, uh, and then we'll follow up with the others uh, who are joining us today. There's an investigation ongoing to, to, to try to determine what went wrong and who's responsible by, as I understand it, an independent group. And I'm wondering how the APEA could say we have no confidence in the superintendent when the report has not been, the has been received, the investigation has not been completed to determine what the failures may have been by the superintendent. Could you help me understand that? The, sure. The, the the issues around LGBTQI LGBTQIA students was we were supporting those students and their families, but there were also other issues that we were deeply concerned about that was driving the vote of no confidence. Um, there was a letter that was sent out by a Latino former a Latina former employee. Um, many, many, many weeks before the other issues had surfaced. So this, there were quite a few issues um, that were um, the focus of the APEA and uh, moving toward a vote of no confidence. In addition to um, our students were suffering um, at school um, from these, these, addition, these issues that led to the Title IX investigation. In, in addition to, I think there was just such a long delay or lack of responsiveness that our members were getting frustrated, particularly around the gender identity issue, that eventually, yes, a Title IX investigation was launched, but so much pressure had to be put on the district to get to that point. It should have been done long before. Action should have been taken before to protect our students. We are speaking with Claire Coco and Mika McGee from the Amherst Pelham Education Association, that's the union at the Amherst School, the Amherst Pelham Schools, and Pat Ananabaku, who is the chair of the Progressive Coalition of Amherst. We're going to take a quick break, and on the other side, we're going to be joined by Art Keene, who is the managing editor of the Indy, the Amherst Indy, very much part of this story. We'll be right back. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. It wasn't necessary, and it probably wasn't even appropriate on the one hand. I don't want that to sound like I don't support schools. I have a long history of supporting schools, certainly longer than any one of those city councilors. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP, news, information, and the arts. 
Technicians, this is your chance. Get up to a $5,000 sign-on bonus at Gary Rome Hyundai or refer a technician to get a $2,500 referral fee. Be part of the family and receive truly exceptional compensation and full benefits. Join the Time Magazine's National Dealer of the Year team with a proven track record of team members averaging over 10 years at Gary Rome Hyundai. Technicians get up to a $5,000 sign-on bonus or refer a technician to get a $2,500 referral fee. To learn more and apply, go to GaryRomeHyundai.com slash family. Sending, requesting, and receiving money person-to-person is a snap with Zelle and the Greenfield Savings Bank mobile app. Zelle is a free benefit of GSB Online Banking. Once you've enrolled, whenever you need to send or receive money from family, friends, or people you trust, just use your GSB mobile app to go to Zelle. For instance, when you bought the advanced tickets for a movie or concert and your friend needs to pay you back, just tell them to go to Zelle. Or when you need to split the tab at a restaurant, tell your friends to go to Zelle. When you need to pay the babysitter, go to Zelle. When your kid at college texts you that they need cash right away, or when you need to pay the landlord, tell them to go to Zelle. The possibilities are endless with Zelle and Greenfield Savings Bank. Zelle and Greenfield Savings Bank, the fast, easy, safe way to send, request, and receive money from friends, family, and people you trust. Member FDIC, member DIF. Mobile carrier charges may apply. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back. We are continuing our conversation about the Amherst Pelham Regional School Committee, um, the district, and uh, the uh, recent developments there. And uh, I'd like to turn our attention right now to Art Keene, who is the editor of the Amherst Indies, the, the progressive newspaper, which uh, is so much a part of the community. Hello, Art. Hi, Bill. This is or Buzz. Buzz. That's okay. Hi, Buzz. Sorry. <laughs> um, I guess what I'd like to do for just a minute or two, can, for those who, don't, who are not unfamiliar with the Indy, what is the Indy? Okay, let me tell you a little bit about it. Um, the Indy has been publishing for four and a half years. It's a free, all-volunteer, independent news source in Amherst without advertising. And it's unapologetic in its progressive orientation. We work conscientiously to present fact-based reporting of the news, and we try to do that with integrity. And we make a clear delineation between our news reporting and our opinion. We try to fact-check rigorously, and we reject the publication of personal and ad hominem attacks. When we make errors, we correct them expeditiously. And what we're trying to do is provide a forum for exploring new ideas in uh, municipal government, uh, a forum for diverse opinions, and we try to include voices within our town that are not typically heard. And I think you can get a good sense of who we are from our masthead. Uh, if you go there and you'll find that among our regular contributors, there's some pretty distinguished Amherst area educators among the bunch. So when I heard Peter's accusations about us, I didn't recognize us in, in those comments. Peter Demling. And I, Peter Demling, yeah. And what I'd like to suggest to the folks who accuse us of bullying is that what's really going on is that they're unhappy with the comprehensive coverage that the India has devoted to their actions and inactions during the crisis in the Amherst schools. And that what they're really objecting to is the critical public scrutiny that they've received. And here's the thing, that it's out there. 
anybody can go to the Indy and read it. So I invite your listeners to check out the articles and judge for themselves. Well, could you just give us a take? I read one particular article um, <clears throat> from, well, I, I, I read it, I think, on the 7th. But the, the title is Regional School Committee Failed to Address Earlier OML, that is Open Meeting Law, Concerns This One by Then-Chair Harrington. It was written by Maria Kulpicki. Um, could you tell us about that and what is, what's contained in that article? Okay, so there's a memo that um, Maria acquired through an open records request uh, from Ben Harrington, who was then chair, I forget the date, uh, in which he encourages his fellow school committee members not only not to meet with the public, but to not meet with each other because to do so might suggest that there's doubt about Mike Morse Superintendent Mike Morrison. Right. And so this and, this was on July 14th in Ben Harrington's um, email, which was sent to one brand new school committee member who then hit reply to all. So her reply went. Oh, where, no, that's a different. That's, that's a different. different. One. Forgive me. Go ahead. There, there are two OML. This is getting weedy, right? There are two OML violations. On one which was reported extensively in Mass Live, and that's the one by Anna Heard, who hit reply all accidentally. And that one's been corrected. This one by Ben hasn't been corrected, um, even though they've had four meetings to do so. And, you know, the, the OML violation is a serious enough concern, but implicit in the memo itself is that the committee is more committed to defending and protecting Superintendent Morris than they are to investigating the facts of the case and what went wrong. And so that's really disturbing. And I think that's the question in front of us is that, you know, for, for all of the chatter, um, there's been very little public discussion outside of the Indy in what needs to be done to ensure that the kids in the Amherst schools are safe and that this debacle that occurred at the middle school never happens again. I would be interested to know your answer to the chicken and the egg issue that is present, which is that there's an investigation ongoing, presumably, and there'll be a report presumably soon. And I understand enormous frustration that it hasn't happened yet, but this is the report on the investigation into what happened. And I'm wondering how editorially um, you can say more should have been done, but all the facts are not yet revealed. Or do you disagree with that? I disagree with that. Okay. Why? Well, well, first of all, the investigation is not a comprehensive investigation. It's an investigation of two very specific uh, Title IX violations filed by two uh, Amherst parents. And so it, it, it is apparently an in-depth investigation of that. Uh, but the more comprehensive investigations, including of the superintendent, the assistant superintendent, that the public has been calling for since March, as far as we know, have not happened. Uh, so, so there's one thing. Uh, secondly, the preliminary results of the investigation have been with the public, and that was reported again comprehensively in Mass Live. And it would appear that they validate 
the community's concerns about bad behavior and stuff not going on that to address the problems in the schools. And so we know that, you know, there's lots of stuff that's been unaddressed. And the fact, you know, that from, you know, when the, uh, before the graphic article, there was a group of parents that, that the graphic filed. is the student newspaper that revealed yes. these problems yeah. and, and what happened at the middle school. Right. And there were actually two articles. Um, before that, parents had filed complaints uh, about um, malfeasance and nothing being done to address that. And, and from the get go, the, the superintendent and then the school committee have kind of obstructed any efforts to get to the bottom of that. And one of the, the ways they did this was to say that, oh, you know, we don't have the facts. We don't have the facts. We need to wait. We need to wait. But in fact, plenty of facts had been amassed and those facts had been reported in the Indy. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I think we know a lot already. We're going to know more. But what we really need is a comprehensive investigation and the school committee has not been willing to undertake that, or at least the previous school committee has not been willing to undertake that. Well, we have a new school committee. Right now we have a uh, uh, understaffed, I guess is the best way to say it, uh, school committee because of the resignations. And there are going to be new people running. Um, I'm wondering, I think, uh, let me let me ask the Amherst Pelham uh, Education Association, Mika McGee, um, <laughs> Uh, who's going to be running for school committee? Um, we have, the APA has not endorsed any candidates. Um, we likely will have some, um, at least one forum, or we'll um, help in presenting a forum if another group decides to do it. But we have not endorsed any candidate. Let's pose the same question, if we might, to Pat and Anabaku. How about the Progressive Coalition of Amherst? Have you endorsed candidates for a school committee? We are actually working on that. Uh, our process is to send out questionnaire to all candidates and then uh, based on their past actions and their responses, we'll decide who we're going to endorse. That, that has not happened yet. We're in the process. And editor Art Keen, will the Indy be endorsing any candidates? The, the Indy does not endorse candidates in elections. But let me say this, six people have already taken out papers to run for the five open slots. There will be more. And what's encouraging is that most of these candidates have been promising that things are going to be different if they're elected. And that they envision a school committee that's more open, more compassionate, more inclusive, more transparent, and more accountable. So I think that's something that everybody in Amherst ought to be able to get excited about. Well, we are really grateful. This is a story that uh, just uh, keeps seemingly going on that those of us who aren't from Amherst, we're all interested in it. It's about our children. It's about their future. And uh, we're so glad that you joined us. And it's today. about how marginalized communities are treated and whether they are heard and whether they are respected in the decision making process. It's got a lot and it's why emotions run so high, I think. And as I just want to add, as somebody who for decades has volunteered in my town governance, it, it's also about how towns govern themselves and, and uh, do so with respect for each other's opinion and, and civility and on important issues that we're all bound to disagree on. Um, but I really thank all of you for being with us today.
Thank you. And we hope and we hope we'll have you back because this is a story that we need to continue to discuss. And there'll be a lot to say once this report, which has been promised soon, is published. Thank you all so very, very much. Really appreciate your time. Uh, Art, Art Keen, managing editor of The Indy, as well as Pat Ananabaku, chair of the Progressive Coalition of Amherst, and Mika McGee and Claire Coco from the Amherst Pelham Education Association. Thank you all so very much for your time and your insight and your activism. We appreciate it. Thank you. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Senator Joe Comerford, along with Joint Committee on Housing Chairperson Senator Lydia Edwards, will tour Valley Community Development in Hadley and Well Street Shelter in Greenfield today. The visit is part of a statewide housing production tour aimed at improving affordable housing. The two organizations help address the housing concerns for rural residents, and the legislators are working to hear about the challenges in affordable housing and shelters and how to make them economically viable while still addressing more rural needs. Northampton is the first city in the county to install outdoor Narcon boxes. The two small cabinets are located in Pulaski Park with three rows of kits containing the drug with instructions on how to administer to prevent a potentially fatal overdose. The city has also purchased two additional boxes to install at other locations. Taylor McAndrew, the coordinator at Hampshire Hope, tells the Gazette that eight kits have already been restocked. The 174th annual Franklin County Fair is underway at the fairgrounds in Greenfield. Gates open at 3 p.m. today. There's free parking for the fair this year at the Olive Street Parking Garage this weekend on Saturday and Sunday. Free shuttles will be running from the parking garage to the fair between 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. both days. And Taste of Northampton will also take place tomorrow. The event will be held on Main Street with over 35 restaurants, breweries, and vendors taking part. Partly sunny today with some scattered showers and thunderstorms developing in the afternoon, a high of 84 to 88. Those scattered showers and thunderstorms continue through early evening tonight, then some drying out overnight. Evening temperatures in the 70s, an overnight low of 68 to 74. Sun cloud mix tomorrow, another round of scattered showers and possibly a few thunderstorms in the afternoon, a high of 82 to 86. Showers likely possibly a steady rain on Sunday with a high of 80. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Hi, I'm Jane Wolf, Executive Vice President of Residential Lending, asking you to come on over to the co-op. It just makes sense. And dollars, Jane. I'm Angie McClay, Residential Loan Underwriter, and we want you to know we've extended our mortgage promo so there's more time to save on your mortgage closing costs. That's right. There's still time to save up to $1,250 when you obtain a pre-approval from GCB. We make it easy to apply online at bestlocalbank.com or at any of our branch locations. Our local, experienced mortgage team is happy to help walk you through the process and answer any questions you may have. So apply online or come see us in person and receive a $750 closing cost credit plus an additional $500 when we pre-approve you. Close by November 30th, be a new first mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan, subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. Hi, Tom Hartman here. Be sure to join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week for We the People. On 101.5 and 1400. Join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. WHMP.
Our school communities thrive when they address students, families, and educators' well-being. That's why the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education offers schools and districts the tools to meet these needs through our Office of Student and Family Supports. Caring for each other, growing together, back to school, better. Visit doe.mass.edu slash growing together. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And welcome back to the show. You know, there's this extraordinary uh, organization uh, that uh, works with people in this region who um, who need it. It's called the Care Center, and uh, it is uh, it's a gem of an organization that changes lives, uh, lives of uh, mothers, lives of children, lives of those people who love them and changes our communities. And the care center is just such an important part of our um, of our community. It is going to be having a comedy benefit show to support the care center. It's going to be at September 9th at the Academy of Music in Northampton. It's going to be at 8 o'clock. And it's going to be called the Comedy Cause 5, the back-to-school edition. I just uh, can't wait. We should all be really excited about what's going to be happening uh, then and there at the Academy of Music on the 9th, which is tomorrow, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, we, we have with us here in the studio three uh, wonderful guests. One of them is a comedian, Kevin Lee. Hello, Kevin Lee. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I see Kevin Lee, I will tell him you said hi. <laughs> but I am Timothy Lovett. <laughs> And that's my hearing. That just made me, I was sure that Kevin was right here in the studio, but we just met a moment ago. So, well, Kevin, tell us about, about the event and what it's all about. That's the funniest thing that's going to happen on the show, guys. <laughs> we have a Kevin Lee impersonator. That's there right. you go. That is hilarious. Oh, yeah, go yes, yes, Kim, I do not please. do magic. We are, we, we are here to provide material. I want you to know that. <laughs> this is definitely going on the show, so if you are... Uh, and you can, and you can no. hire Buzz as your PR person. Wow, that's really great. Because uh, I'm going to need a new job after yeah. today. No, I'm Kevin Lee. <laughs> yes, she's Tim. Kevin Lee. Yes, I, I am Tim. Now, what? Now, uh, what is your question? <laughs> can you find still find Buzz? Because I last saw him hiding under the desk. <laughs> yeah, he's all red. Yeah, could you tell us about the event, this comedy benefit that's going to be happening uh, September 9th at eight o'clock at the Academy of Music? Okay, okay. So this is a event, uh, comedy cause that we do uh, every year to give back to a charity and um, or uh, organization in our community. It started back in 2017. Now, what's going to make this show different than any other show is the fact that um, I guess there's going to be two Kevin Lees on the show. One. <laughs> I am never going to live. <laughs> you know, it, you know, and for two, um, you know, uh, we are going to have like a different branded comedy and different flavors. Usually, we have a theme, um, like as far as like. Uh, the way comedians tell jokes, but now we, we sort of splice it up and going to have more variety. And, you know, we're going to keep it to a back-to-school thing. Well, I mean, I've been reading Comedy as a Weapon in collaboration with the Care Center and Arts Equity Group announces this fifth annual Comedy Cause event. Um, so 
I don't quite get what that means, comedy as a weapon. Should I ask uh, you, Ann Teschner? Well, I, uh, I think it's, it's really about it, uh, using comedy to create some social change. And in this case, it's supporting the care center. We work with pregnant parenting teen moms and other low-income women, and our goal is to move women to and through college. And um, that's kind of revolutionary in a certain way. <laughs> tell, tell us a bit about the association with Bard College, if you would. Yeah. Um, so we've got um, a couple of things going on at the care center. So if you're a young mom and you've dropped out of school, which is most everyone at the care center, we'll help you get your GED. Um, and now we have uh, an associ a free associate's degree program at the care center that we do with Bard College. Bard Micro College Holyoke, it's the only college designed for um, young moms in the country. And we, it's been incredibly successful. This is our seventh year, and our graduation rate is 72%, which is kind of mind-blowing. It's up there with Harvard, you know. <laughs> um, but in addition to that, we have college courses going on throughout the year. And the focus on college is really about um, kind of moving people into a space of economic stability. If you're a young mom you, and you have a GED and a couple of kids, you're not going to make it economically. You really do need the college credentials, whether it's right or wrong, it doesn't matter. That's how the world is structured right now. Um, so we're really committed to getting women to the end with their uh, associate's degree. It's such an admirable approach to changing lives. I want to ask you, Kim DeShields, what's your relationship to the Care Center? I'm a comedian, and I work with Tim in, uh, in Comedy as a Weapon. Are you Kevin <laughs> Lee? <laughs> the, the plot thickens. <laughs> she, I, she must be Kevin Lee. Somebody's got to be Kevin Lee. Yeah, yes. no, no, yeah, I work with Tim. I'll be hosting the show tomorrow night. Uh-huh. And so uh, tell, tell us why comedy for such a serious mission. I think it's uh, comedy is important. It's important for everybody needs it. You know, it's been rough these last, I don't know, how many years. And it's a good release, and it's a good way to just come out and forget your problems and just uh, just enjoy the show. It's going to be a great show, and it's definitely for a great cause. Please come out. Did uh, we give you good material today or what? A hundred percent. Maybe everyone can I'm get not even going to be calling him Tim anymore. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, because he's not going to be calling you Kim anymore. <laughs> so, so I should ask you, how did we get to Kevin Lee? I mean, this guy has sort of a national reputation. Who, who connected with Kevin Lee, and why Kevin Lee? Well, um, well first of all, um, I like to work with people I have worked with before. But the special thing for me with Kevin Lee is that I – grew up watching him on TV and I always before I got into comedy I mean uh, and I was just amazed at him and then when I got a chance to work with him I was like a fan like oh my god I used to watch you can you even sign my you know sign my uh, whatever I don't t-shirt I don't know whatever it was I had him sign some stuff and you know we got to work together and so when I had an opportunity to bring him out you know I jumped at it uh, I'd like to throw this to my co-host Kevin Lee I think you have a question <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to go back to a question. We've asked Tim uh, this on the show before, but I think it's really interesting. Comedy as a weapon, what does that mean? Where did it come from? 
Well, comedy as a weapon came from when I was in a situation where, you know, I got out of a a bad situation that I was homeless and at times where I wasn't allowed or supposed to be funny, you sort of do an emotional triage, like things you have to give up to survive or change to survive. And one thing I promised myself I would never give up was uh, my sense of humor, my ability to laugh. And so when I had a chance to do uh, comedy, you know, it was comedy as a weapon because comedy was my weapon to get over and heal and um, move forward. One of the hardest interviews for me over these many years has been to interview comedians because, hi, come on the show, be funny. It's about the deadliest thing ever. But you are a very funny person. I've seen the show. You are. You are. Um, I'd like to know, how did you become so skilled at comedy? Where'd you learn the craft? Um, I, From I, me. <laughs> and if you true. could say something funny here, I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> that is true. Kim does not let you not be funny because she'll tell you about it the whole ride home. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm almost scared not to be funny. No, but seriously, uh, bad word, but seriously, uh, how'd, you, how'd you hone your craft? How'd you learn it? Well, um, uh, just you got to hit stages. You got to hit different audiences. You have to um, just always work on it. It's, you know, you can be funny. That's the talent. But um, working on it and reproducing it for people who wasn't there on the inside joke, that's the skill. <laughs> what inside joke, Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, I'm looking, I'm fixated on Kevin Lee. Like, <laughs> he's going to be the headliner tomorrow. And he's been the headliner on Def Comedy Jam and on Jamie Foxx's Uptown Comedy Club and Showtime at the Apollo. This is a really accomplished, uh, he's also voted Washington, D.C.'s funniest comedian by Washington, Washingtonian Magazine. Um, this guy is a serious talent. Yeah. Who connected with Kevin Lee? Who knew him? How did we get him here? Okay, I knew him. This is Tim Lovett yeah, speaking. Tim, this is Tim Lovett speaking. <laughs> Tim Lovett. Allegedly. <laughs> they don't know. I could be anybody. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I worked with him, and so I reached out to him and his people to see if he uh, would be available. And um, the, the actual thing, when I told him it was a, um, a benefit show, and when I told him what the cause was, you know, he jumped right at it. He was like, sure, I will be there. I'll do whatever you need for me to do to, you know, help you promote it and everything. So, so Kim DeShield, that's the host tomorrow. What can people expect to see and experience when, when they come to the Academy of Music tomorrow night at 8 o'clock? A lot of laughing. We're going to have a good time. We'd love to have a good time. Uh, you know, I'm going to do some crowd work, tell some jokes. Uh, the other comedians are very skilled and really funny, so... It's really, we always have a good time. Like, I can't even think of a show where we didn't have a good time. We've had some really great comics on the show, so. And I'd like to add, I've been a supporter of the Care Center for many, many, many years. It's a fabulous organization. The work that they do for these young women and their kids is amazing. They change lives. It changes lives. So go have a good time and help a spectacularly successful cause, the Care Center. We're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, we'll continue to make fun of Buzz Eisenberg. And talk to the three Kevins. Okay, bye. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka. Celebrate the Valley's proud Polish heritage with Polka Carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning Polka Carousel to the airwaves of the Valley. Playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits. There are polka hits? Brought to you by Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled thoughtful memorial care. It's Polka Carousel, WHMP. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Rutabagas, sweet potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the co-op every day. At the co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice? Get just the right amount in the co-op's bulk department. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts, and messages from community nonprofits. 20 years ago, we envisioned creating a brighter future for people and planet. Now, PV Squared celebrates a big milestone, two decades of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar projects for homes and businesses in our community. PV Squared is a worker-owned co-op. When you partner with us, you get a team dedicated to the success of your project, from your first meeting to servicing your system down the road. Build SolarRite and do business better. It's the co-op difference. Learn more at pvsquared.coop. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. So, Ann Teshner, we were talking about the care center and we are talking about the important mission of the care center, and and I just love that this fundraiser involves comedy when the mission is just so serious. There's something just magically poetic about that. Is is is, is that what you're thinking as well? Well, we're just really humbled and and grateful that that um, these folks agreed to do this with us. It's just um, it means a lot to us. There'll be some students there which will be, you know, wonderful for them, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the the Care Center really is an unusual organization in many respects. You know, we've got very high expectations for our students, but we have just tons of support. So there's on-site daycare and transportation and nurse practitioner and mental health services and food and just just everything you could, everything you need to succeed. So, well, there how many students are uh, uh, are served by the care center at a given time? Well, we work um, with about a hundred young women every year, and so at any point in time, there depends on the season. There could be, you know, twenty five um, people in the Clemente course, and another forty in the GED class, and another forty in the micro college. So it's a great building with a lot of people in it. <laughs> 25 infants and toddlers, you know, there's just a lot of humans in that building. <laughs> and, and, and really, seriously, I use that word seriously, um, what kind of support do these students get in, in 
their work, their studies? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a full range. So there's um, individual tutoring. There are classes. Uh, we help people pass the exam, but we also are there to help people kind of get a grip on who, who are they? What, what's, what are you doing in the world? What do you want to do? Um, and for a lot of um, folks living, you know, in the welfare system, that's a welcome and unusual question to be asked. And uh, how important are private donations in being being able to provide those services? Well, we have a mix of uh, public and private funds. The private funds allow us to do uh, wild and crazy things like teach stained glass and row on the Connecticut River. Um, the st- sometimes the state will support that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we were. I was talking to Kim while we were waiting, saying we we need to have a comedy class, um, you know, Ooh. at the care center. I'm, I'm sure they've got some real funny stories, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Kim DeShield, your, uh, your commitment to, must be to the cause. I mean, why are you doing this? For the money. Seriously. And I am. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, yeah, it's impor- definitely an important cause. We always... Um, we're very passionate about giving back to the community, so that's why we started doing this in the first place. So uh, we just lucked up this year. So it feels like so. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, both ways. I'd like to know in the minute we have left. There's been an enormous capital campaign, I believe, for mm-hmm. the care center. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because I think it reflects the community support for we are going to help these young women and their families. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. So um, we've launched an endowment campaign to support the micro college. It's just so great that it, we just have to preserve it forever. Um, we set a goal of $4 million to raise, and we are at about 2.7 at this point. Um, and, yeah, the community has stepped up. It's amazing to us. Uh, we've never done anything like that before, but it's it's speaks to our commitment to the idea, but definitely the community's commitment. And uh, so, uh, Timothy Lovett, who, uh, can you call <laughs> Kevin Lee and tell him his services will not be necessary? <laughs> yes, I'll reach out to him and tell him not to come on this show. <laughs> 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 Actually, I decided not to come on this show myself. So one more time, if you would, Ann Teshner, just tell people how they can get tickets and when it's going, when this event is going to happen. The event is happening this Saturday. The doors open at 7, I think, 7.30. Um, they can get tickets at the door. And, yeah, please come. It's you know, Please come with a good Kevin joke. That's, that's what right. we need. That's what's missing that's here. That's right. Oh, my God. Well, it's also, there will be a picture of Buzz Eisenberg for Kevin Lee to punch <laughs> as frequently as he wants. I really, it is the care center. The event is going to be happening at Academy Music tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. Please do come. Thank you all for coming into the studio and, and making fun of me. And thank everybody else for joining us. <laughs> thank you, man. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. How am I doing? Well. Get takeout, save 30%. Get candles or hit the links. Save 30%. Dog grooming, outdoor recreation, burritos, save 30%. 
The Shop 30 store, full value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were gonna buy anyway. The Shop 30 store, open right now at whmp.com. I'm Lisa Riley. Join me every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP as we share stories that shine a light on justice-involved individuals or just underdogs in the game of life, their struggles, their successes, and the many resources and opportunities available for those who are hustling to carve a new path and prove that failure isn't final. So unlock your future, rewrite your story. This is The Hustler Files. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD.